Welcome to episode two of Friends Beer Coffee, an autobiographical podcast for the hell of it. I am your host, Joel Gratzik, dad blogger, craft beer enthusiast, and professional nerd. Today's guest is a pastor, fish fan, and fellow craft beer enthusiast, Jeremy Highland. He's my good friend and co-founder of Penultimate Brews. How's it going? It is going fantastically well. Yeah? I saw you were doing some uh, sampling today. Yeah, I was down in uh, Madison for a bottle release at Funk Factory Goozeria. Nice. Uh, they had uh, two today that I was super excited about, the Frempeers, which is a uh, Lambic style, because uh, you can't call it Lambic in the States, um, <laughs> with uh, raspberries aged 18 months in French oak. And uh, then they had their Blackberry Merits, which is uh, Merits is a style of beer that they use the second runnings from Alambic, and then typically it's fruited, and this is blackberry, and it was delicious. Turns out knowing ridiculous facts about music gets you free beer and samples with the crew. Um, I did a whole little mini lecture on the difference between songs and movements and symphonies. Um, wow. Skill set that uh, you probably didn't know I had. Um, but you grew up with a music teacher for a father, and you uh, uh, learn osmosis wise all of those things so pretty cool <laughs> how'd that come up i mean you're sitting there drinking and then somebody asks you a question or what? yeah i went to go get my bottles and i left my my tickets for the bottles um two hours away and so they're like hey oh. you gotta call call brown paper tickets let them know and they're like yeah we can't do this and and she's like can we talk to someone in charge there and so i handed her to um the owner and blender Levi Funk, and he's just like, listen, we've had this conversation four times already today in the past half an hour. Just send the <laughs> printed home tickets. And they did, and they got done. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that. And he's just like, no. He said, this is the second time we've been through this. We did this at the last release. And I said, I remember my tickets last time. And he's just like, yeah, they should just do all printed home for us instead of mailing these things. This is ridiculous. And then they're like, we need some music to get us pumped up. And one of the guys is like, it's my turn to choose, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 take your pick. And he's like, how about Beethoven's Fifth? And like, it just went quiet. The four people working, <laughs> a couple of people in line. He's like, no. And they're like, no, if that's your pick, man, we'll go with it. And so he throws on Beethoven's Fifth. Nice. And they're sitting here. And um, I, I was just laughing, talking to him a little bit. Uh, happened to be the only one left at this point in time. Um, they had a huge rush before I came, and I, I saw the line and waited. I uh, had another beer, and then I came back out. They're like, mm. it's playing, and, da, 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 and it goes through the whole thing. And uh, one of the guys is like, man, that's a great song. And uh, one of the other guys is like, dude, they're not called songs and symphonies. And because I had had a beer or three, I was like, yeah, they're, <laughs> man, they're called movements. And they're like, see, see? And so we got into a discussion about the difference between movements and music, you know, as a, you, would, you know, it's not a song. It's a part of a movement and it's not, doesn't really stand on its own. It's supposed to be in all the different pieces. And then we talked about like Adagio and Allegro and thing, and they just like looked at me and I'm like, I'm sorry, I've had too much to drink right now. And they're like, <laughs> no, 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 you haven't had enough. Hold on a second. And they, one of the guys popped back in. He came back out with a sample glass, and I shared a couple samples with him for some other things. Let's let's talk a little bit about the things you're doing now. 
maybe current job or current hobbies or uh, things like that that would let people who don't know who you are um, know a little bit more about who you are? Sure. Um, I currently serve a church in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, um, St. Paul's United Church of Christ. And um, I kind of, for people who don't know what the UCC is, we're kind of like the uh, left-wing Christians that um, we're like intolerant of all of the intolerant people. So I'm not sure what that puts us exactly, but we're kind of a, a left-wing um, that most kind of uh, conservative Christians look at and say, you're not really even Christian because, you know, that's what Jesus spent all his time doing. Um, so uh, I serve a church up in Sheboygan, and I've been here about two years now, maybe two years in November, um, and it's this awesome congregation, um, Blue Collar. Uh, they like truly and deeply care for each other and not in the, because I'm supposed to, but they actually do. So if someone's not doing well, they take care of each other. They are brutally honest, um, which is refreshing. It's also somewhat ego-bruising sometimes, um, but hmm. not in a bad way. Um, you know, you, you learn quickly that way. And it's uh, the congregation itself is on the south side of Sheboygan, um, and the neighborhood used to be all old white German folks and some Russians in there too, but for the most part, old white folk. And it's it's changed, and so a lot of the neighborhood is now uh, Latino and African American um, and Hmong. And one of the things that excites me currently about the church, other than uh, kind of getting it moving again after a long interim period is figuring out ways to reach out into the community, not as a membership tool to be like, hey, join our church of white people, but to say, we're on your side too. How can we partner with the neighborhood, the schools in the area to make sure that our kids and our people are being taken care of with zero strings attached? Um, it's a terrible membership model, but I think it's the right thing to do. And so, <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that that so, sounds like it. How did you end up there? Did you, uh, as a kid, want to become a pastor, or is that something oh, that God, no. happened later on in your life? Because um, <laughs> uh, no. I mean, you grew up, uh, you grew up at least in the church somewhat. Yeah, right? yeah. No, I, I grew up in Michigan in the church. Uh, my dad was the choir director, and he was the choir director at that church for like forty years. Um, retired only because of health, and they moved. Uh, my mom was a fill-in. She was a regular organist at the Lutheran Church in town and the backup organist at the UCC Church. And we did double duty for a while. My mom would play at the 9 o'clock service. Then she'd drive across town, you know, a town of 8,000. So it's not like it's a big town. It's like a two-minute drive. Um, and we would go to then the UCC Church at 10. And so I just kind of got used to that. And then uh, the church she worked at as the organist got a new pastor who she just got rubbed the wrong way and so she's like I, I don't want to work here anymore so she quit um and then we went to the ucc church so i grew up there you know i can count on one hand how many sundays in this church growing up like all summer long too we just didn't if we traveled to see family or something we still went to church uh, with my dad working at the church for all that time i saw how the sausage is made and had zero desire to go into church stuff my mom was the 
registrar, I guess, would probably be the right term for the our church camp. Um, and so in eighth grade, she was like, you're going to church camp. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not going to church camp. I'm I'm not a nerd. I'm, I'm cool, which is not at all true. But it was a really good thing to say in eighth grade. Um, sure. And she said, you know, you're all going, my brother and sister and I, because I'm the registrar. And it would look terrible if my own kids didn't go. And we're like, we've never gone to church camp. Send me someplace cool. And she's mm-hmm. like, this is a non-negotiable. Send me to church camp. Um, had one of the greatest weeks of my life uh, at camp. Um, loved it, and I was back at that camp every year for the next 16 years, and I worked there for 10 of those on staff. Wow. Um, ended up being a counselor and then the cook, and then after that I ran the whole thing um, for five years. And um, just I love my job there. I love my, love my camp still to this day. Um, and so after after college and everything and trying to figure out what I'm doing, I went to grad school and was teaching English literature and language at a university and then at a statewide college in Michigan. And then uh, uh, really just wasn't finding teaching English 101 to 150 students a, a quarter that none of them wanted to be there real exciting in life. It just kind of, you know, it was soul crushing. And so I uh, was trying to figure out what's next. And so my my uh, super, super relevant master's thesis was about uh, the early modern or what most people call Renaissance, Renaissance uh, English biography and textual analysis of funeral sermons with the switch between Protestant and Catholics and how the difference played out in politics. Um, so something you talk about every day at the bar. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of looked at him like, so if I want to go further with this, I, I wrote about a guy that no one has ever heard of. Um, I'll tell you stories about that some other day, but I uh, did some study in England and stuff. And I was like, I think I might want to do more with this. And one of my advisors is like, you know, you, you ought to think about maybe like a seminary because that's church history. You'd learn a lot. And I was like, I don't really think that's a good idea. Um, And so I taught for another year, and the new pastor at my parents' church, who's a couple years older than me, um, and I I sang in the church choir because it's just always what I did, and I enjoy it, and every single week of practice, he's like, you should think about seminary. And I've been hearing this from other people at camp, and I just was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to be a professor. I'm going to have the long, wispy beard with the tweed jacket with corduroy patches or corduroy <laughs> jacket with tweed patches, whatever it is, you know. I'm going to chew on a pipe, not smoke it because it's nasty, but, you know, my little horn ring glasses, and I'm going to say brilliant things to young minds, and they're going to be awed by me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have left that. that. Yeah, you had right? it all no. planned out. <laughs> totally. I even applied to PhD programs and got waitlisted and was just like, well, shit, now what do we do? So mm-hmm. um, this pastor, Phil, he just kept coming after me. And he's just like, if you go go visit a seminary, if you go visit a seminary, I will drop it and never say it again. And I was like, okay. And so in college and in grad school, I just quit church completely. So I went like every Sunday for 18 years. And then I went cold turkey 
conservative Christian college and was like, yep, done with church. And so when I went back and he was just like, just check it out. I was like, fine, just leave me the hell alone. I just don't want to talk about this. Um, I went and uh, had a really ridiculous uh, experience and it was, um, it, it just fit. Scared the living bejesus out of me. I got lost in um, Hyde Park in Kenwood on the south side of Chicago. And like Hyde Park is, you know, fairly ritzy. Kenwood, not so much. Uh, ended up living oh. there, but got lost there. Ended up at the seminary. And instead of talking like church stuff, we talked about books and coffee and beer. And I was just like, huh. And they're like, yeah, you know, the, the process is not about um becoming the best faithful person you can be, but taking all those things you think you know and destroying them and starting over and building something that you can actually believe in. And I was like, yeah, I could do this. Um, nice. So I, I did. And when I was finishing up then, um, uh, the church that I ended up working at, I did a volunteer job and at there with the youth, and they hired me because they didn't want me to leave. And I got paid garbage for the first ooh, probably five or six years until they realized if they didn't pay me more, I'd leave. And then they paid me the bare minimum they could pay me at the next pay grade. Um, huh. And uh, so new new boss in there, um, didn't see eye to eye with him on anything and decided it was time for me to move on. Um, and so uh, I've got a three-year-old currently and at the time, I moved, I I guess I was like a little over a one-year-old, and uh, my wife and I were talking and said, you know, we don't really want to raise our child in the the school district we were in, um, the neighborhood we loved, but the school district we didn't, metal detectors um, at the middle school and high school, and she's a public school Uh teacher, and public school teachers don't send their children to private school, really frowned upon, Um, so we said, let's get out. So uh, we moved to Wisconsin. Um, and uh, actually today, which I don't think I even told you yet, uh, like right before I talked to you, we signed um, the papers on buying a house. Um, oh, nice. Two years of renting. Yeah. <clears throat> That's so exciting. We'll uh, close here in a couple of weeks and have an actual house of our own where I can pour countless hours into repairing the 1900 built farmhouse. Um, so That's good though. You'll enjoy it. I mean, that'll be, yeah. Yeah. Time I love doing that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so my, awesome. my brewing will probably take an even longer pause than it's kind of been, um, you know, you and I brewed this summer and, Oh, by the way, I tasted that the other day and it's, it, it's right where I want it to be. So good. Um, I got to figure out what comes next with it, but you know, um, my brewing stuff, I've, I've already started kind of sort of packing stuff up at the house um, because in Wisconsin, from initial contract to close is like six weeks. Uh-huh. Um, so we could actually sign and like close on the house mid-October. Um, so Wow, that's like a right, right around the corner. Yeah, right. So we're, we're going to wait. He's going to file everything this weekend. And then come Monday or Tuesday, we should get the next parts from the bank and and that. And then we can play the fun game of figuring out where in God's 
name, we're going to find the money to uh, pay for things. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm there with you. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's more fun looking yeah. back at it and going, oh, this is how it worked out than it is trying to figure it, it out. Exactly. Fun fact, the underwriter's like, so I see you have this uh, LLC called Penultimate Brews. And I said, yes. And he said, I don't see an income sheet. And I said, that's because there's no income. And he's like, <laughs> none? And I'm like, nope. He's like, nada. I'm like, nada. And he's like, um, why do you have it then? And I'm like, well, we're planning on making money someday. Uh, but, you know, to, to hold a website and do all these things, it makes sense to have a business license instead of just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and having someone else say, I like that name. I'm taking it. And he's like, right. oh, no, that does make sense. He's like, so you're going to have to file and get this special form for me. And I'm like, what is it? And he sends it to me and it's just like uh, money earned in this quarter or in, the, in calendar year 2016, zero expenditures and web hosting and domain registration. We'll just go with that. And yeah, I mean, that, net, net, yeah. net profit, zero. And he's like, right. yeah, you just have to sign it and date it and it's done. And I was like, oh. He said, well, if you good. made money, it'd be a whole lot more difficult. I'm like, well, I guess it's nice to be broke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll only do that a year or two longer, and then uh, yeah. th- that'll change. Yeah. So other hobby stuff. I mean, <clears throat> you you know about uh, brewing. Um, I've been doing that for a while. I'm trying to even think since I was brewing in seminary because I nearly poisoned my roommate. No, was oh. that the first time that you ever brewed, or no? I. I brewed before seminary in, I'm sure it was in the summer. I'm trying to think, one of my buddies got married and he is a wonderful dude, super cheap. And he, he and I hung out a lot. I don't remember. I think I brewed in grad school. It's the first time I actually, like actually physically brewed stuff with a Mr. Beer kit. But mm, we had, okay. we had like looked at it and talked about it and we we're like, Oh, and he's just like, man, you can make it so much cheaper than you can buy it if you make your own. And he poured me a beer he made, and I was just like, dude, this is awful. <laughs> it's just like Bud Light. And I'm like, why would you try to make Bud Light? And you can't make it with, you can't lager a beer that style, like a Pills or a Kolsch. Or, I mean, you, can't, you just can't do that kind of beer with a beer kit right. um, that comes in a little <laughs> plastic barrel. It was just awful. And so it was like Bud Light ingredients with an ale yeast. And wow. it just, it was bad. And so he's like, you can do better. And I'm like, yeah, I can. And so I, I started making beer. We did a bunch together and then I got my own stuff. And so after two or three years, then I had like five one gallon kits and I would make recipes, all, all extract batches and learned a lot about the process. And I would say all of the beers more or less tasted the same. Um, it was all rehydrated yeast, and it wasn't with a starter. You just, like, sprinkled the yeast in warm water on top of the beer, which is just wow. terrible practice. Yeah. Uh, but it ferments, and it makes alcohol. I think I had – I probably made 50 batches with those things, and wow. I think I had one where I would have been, like – if today I would have been, like, that's a good beer out of 50. <laughs> uh, but I had this one called the 
It's called the Cherry Bomb. And it was a, a recipe, not a kit, but it was a recipe. And I had to like pull all the ingredients from a homebrew shop and stuff, malt extracts and things like that. And I made it, you know, on the stovetop so you don't get a real good boil anyway. And mm-hmm. uh, had some honey and it had some cherries in it. So I put it in my Mr. Beer. You know, it has like insanely vigorous fermentation and there's like foam and cherry debris all over the. Thankfully, it had a pan underneath it, but it, like. It was just a mess. I was like, Excellent. What the hell, man? It was awful. <laughs> and it smelled, I mean, like it finished fermenting and I bottled it. And as I'm bottling it, I tasted it. And I was like, yeah, this isn't bad. Um, like, you know, it's a little hot right now, but that, that can be the case sometimes. It was like supposed to be like an 8%. So I bottled it. Um, and at the time, I was just using like plastic screw top bottles because they were free. Um, Okay. And uh, cleaned them, sanitized them, everything. Totally legit to do. Not real good packaging. They're clear. You know, I really got to watch the sun and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. made it and then uh, waited, it carved and everything. Um, you know, now I look back and recognize the 47 different ways that I could have contaminated the beer making it from priming sugar, just dumping sugar on a piece of paper into each bottle. Um, Wow. Yeah. So just lots of uh, cautioning, terrible warning, put your life in your hands to drink this kind of things. And so we made this Mm. one and cracked the bottle. You know, it's a gallon, so I had like six or 12, whatever, bottles. And... uh, Pour us each glass, you know, it was nice and cold after being in the fridge. It didn't foam up real bad and had good head retention. It smelled pretty good. And uh, my roommate, who to this day is not a big beer guy, he, he brews his, or I don't know if he brew, makes his own wine, however he says, Vince, I don't know what you call that, but he does wine. He does wine's okay. Uh, he's still learning. And, uh, he took one sip of it and literally spit it all out all over me. Um, it just was just like, Oh my God. I'm like, dude, come on. Don't be a dick about this. It's not that bad. And if you don't like beer, just say, I don't like beer. And he's like, take a drink. And so I of course took a big drink and uh, nearly threw up. It was, Oh my God. It was, it was an abomination. Wow. It was awful. <laughs> like Bud Light would seem like the greatest beer ever compared to this. It was so <laughs> terrible. And that was the last time I used Mr. Beer. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm never using it again. It was just, it was just awful. Um, so and that's when I, up, I started upgrading and started doing um, like a, a partial, where I use some extract for like the base and then I use specialty greens and little sacks and steep it, steep it stuff. Um, and that's when I started the Bible and Brewing Group I did at my old church. So we did that, and we were doing all partial stuff for a while. It would have been, it was a July. I remember doing, because I brewed my first all-grain batch in the kitchen and learned two important things. My kitchen stove does not have high enough, my old kitchen stove doesn't have high enough BTUs to get it to a vigorous boil. Uh-huh. And if you brew inside your home, your house will smell like mash or like the cereal grains, which at first is delightful, uh, it will stay that way for a week or two. And it is <laughs> no longer delightful after a week or two. But I will tell you, 
minus we because if you're going to go big go you know let's just do it so i made my first all grain was a russian imperial um okay targeted about 10 and a half percent um flavor profile was spot on head retention was was what it was supposed to be. The color was nice. The bitterness was nice. I mean, everything went well, minus it was just thin because I never, uh, my mash was not at proper temps. And so it came, it it poured out kind of like a a very thin stout. Tasted good. It just would have gotten failing marks across the board on any competition because the viscosity and everything was just off. You've much improved since then, for sure. I've had yeah, I've I, had a I, number I of your so. your beers in the last couple of years, and they've been they've been very yeah. good. Um, I discovered this podcast. It's been going on like three or three years now, maybe. Called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. They read a chapter of Harry Potter a week, and they're like on on the the Triwizard Tournament stuff right now on the book four. Each week they read a chapter, and they have these little exercises they do, and they read the stuff. And it's like 23 minutes long, and I'm so addicted to it. Were you a fan yeah. of the Harry Potter stuff um, as it was coming out, or did you come into it later? Hell no. Um, I, was, <laughs> I was teaching teaching at the time. Um, I was in college when I think it, when it first came out. It was grad school. Um, there was a girl. Uh, I, I'm not sure if we were dating or I was trying to date her. I don't know what you want to call it. It was super awkward. Um, and she taught and she just like, Oh, I just love these books and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, they're kids books. I'm not going to read these kids books. And she's just like, come on, you read them. We'll go out and we'll talk about them. And I was just like, seems like a good way to get a date. And so (laughs) um, I, uh, (laughs) yeah, I read the first book in a night. I started reading it and I'm like, Oh my God, I love this. And I, I polished the first book off like the day she gave it to me. I'm like, you have the next book? And she's like, are you even going to read them? I'm like, oh, no, I read it. She quizzed me, and she's like, wow. oh, God, you did. I'm like, just give me whatever you have. And so at this point, it was up to the Goblet of Fire. And oh, so okay. I read the next book in a day. Um, Azkaban probably took me two days, and Goblet of Fire was probably like a three-day read. But within like a little over a week, I'd read the first four books. Um, wow. Cover to cover, and then I bought them and reread them again um so then i've been i i know exactly when and where i got um the order of the phoenix book five and where i got the half-blood prince book six and where i got the duffy house book seven and when i got them uh, all at camp and i read them cover to cover the day i got them um one of them i drove out at midnight to get um and saw all the i mean like I'm a nerd. Like I'm not gonna lie. But these are people that, wrong you know, with that as as Harry and Hermione and such uh, to pick up their books. Like I could see yeah. at a movie. I could I could see at a convention. But to like to go to Walmart to pick up your book and you're wearing a wizard's costume. That's a little weird. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I read all those and and I saw all the. The movies, um, with the exception of maybe there may have been one that I didn't see opening night, like the midnight showing. I think I may have not. I think I saw the the Sorcerer's Stone like uh, the day after, at, like a matinee, 
because I couldn't okay. afford the nighttime ticket at the time. People who know me well know they're like the three things I know way too much about are beer and the Bible and Harry Potter. <laughs> That's, I'm still working on how to combine those three. Yes. I can do Bible and Harry Potter and I can do beer and Bible, but I haven't really figured out beer and Harry Potter yet. I'm not sure how those match up. Uh, fire whiskey and butter beer, yes, but not, you know, it's not like Harry opened a, went to a craft bar at the Leaky Cauldron. Right. He, yeah. You know, yeah. They were all pretty know. much underage for most of it, too. Yeah. I, I think uh, craft beer is a muggle thing. I'm not sure if wizards are not into craft beer. I don't know. We worked together for eight years, nine years. Um, at a yeah. church for 10, was it 10 years? It was a long time. 10 years, um, yeah. Going, like, way back, I remember, maybe not the first time I saw you, but, like, one of the first times that we interacted, and obviously you were much younger. I was, too. Um, now you've got yeah. a super short haircut, and back then you had this, like, shoulder-length hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that? Yeah. What what was were you doing like locks of love or what was the point of the the yeah. longer hair at that point? You were still in seminary too, I think at that at that point. Yeah, I was. Um, I actually was doing locks of love at that point. One of my camp kids had been diagnosed with cancer, and she had asked several of her older counselors and stuff. She was she might have been in college at that point in time, and she had chemo and all her hair fell out and stuff, and she. She challenged a bunch of us and said, you guys, would you grow your hair out for lots of love? So, you know, because she got a, a nice wig to be a little bit more normal. Um, she was super embarrassed about it. And so she challenged us all. And so uh, I felt like I had known a little girl. And she's not, I mean, she's probably 30 now or something. I don't know. But uh, I felt like I really could, that's something I could do. Um, so I did. I had long hair, like, my junior year of high school on and through college when I broke up with my girlfriend and shaved my head because I was a dramatic 18 year old. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I, I don't know, I'd have to see a picture. I think it was just kind of like normal hair uh, until um, it would have been grad school. And, um, in grad school, I grew my beard out a little more because I look like a child without a beard. And I had students who didn't think, like, they wouldn't buy that I was their teacher because I looked too young. Uh, <laughs> so when I started growing my beard out a little bit longer rather than just kind of keeping it um, on the lowest setting on my little shaver uh, and doing sure. my hair the same, I just let everything go. And my hair... I, normal hair again and then that's when she asked about us doing it and it was me and then two other guys um, both of them one of them had long hair already and so he just let it grow and cut and we all cut ours the same weekend um, and when I ended up cutting it off it was 14 inches of hair nice. um, and my mom cried because of my lovely blonde locks being gone but, oh, and I've man. never grown my hair out beyond more than like an inch since then because I felt like one of the like the old hippie guys who were like 
balding with the ponytail and you're like, who are you kidding, man? Right. Um, so, but yeah, I had long hair. Um, cause I, I started in 2005, uh, part time at the church and you started like 2006, right? June full-time? 2006. Yeah. Full time right away yeah. for me. Yeah. And I was part time went... at the beginning. So I was still in school. There you go. Yeah. I was, I was working at Walmart in Indiana. I had just gotten married in, that April and randomly Abigail saw a job on Craigslist and was like, Hey, why don't you apply to this? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Why not? Whatever. Like, I don't know the name of that town. Like, where is that in Illinois? I don't know anything. And I did obviously when I got hired, but yeah. And then you drove from Valpo, right? Or were you not the in Valpo? First... Where were you? No, <laughs> we had the brilliant idea that, you know, well, if we moved to Cherville, which was still Indiana, that, sure. uh, okay. you know, we were closer, so it'd be fine. But the place that we moved to wasn't near the highway. So I literally would leave our apartment. I have to drive almost a half hour before I got to the highway because there were all these shopping turns and red lights and stuff. Once I got on the highway, it wasn't bad, except for construction season. Um, but that's Chicago, you know, whatever. And, and 94 was, in general. Yeah, it was awful. We did that for a year. Um, yeah, and then, I remember that. Yeah. That was Because so I think rough. that's when we oh. we first started hanging out, other than being the only young people on staff. It was it was coffee. It was just like, yeah. let's go get coffee. Because we were yeah, both we need a break. sleep-deprived. Let's get, uh-huh. get out of the building. Back when we first met, um, the, I, I didn't really like beer. Uh, no, I was definitely not in the least. No, I was definitely much more of a conservative type person because that's how I was raised and whatnot. Sure. And yeah, I was I was super newly married when we first met, or the first few times we met. What were some of your initial thoughts or feelings about who I was as a person then? Um, you were super uh, cheerful happy uh guy when i first met you and i my my first thing was this guy's going to get eaten alive here like just <laughs> shredded by the people who are you know meaning well but take advantage of people and you know i you were so nice and my my kind of first like gut impressions were like this has got to be fake um it it wasn't um you are really nice you know, um, but I think like when I first met you, my initial overall picture of you was, okay, we're never going to have anything in common because he's, he's a goody goody and that's not how I function. Um, I, I was very wrong or you may have been more and shifted. I'm not sure how you want to phrase that, but, um, I remember right when you guys got married, you volunteered or got volunteered for like a confirmation retreat. Yes. Totally. Kids. I was totally like, volunteered. I, I didn't like volunteer. I was totally volunteered. Right. And I, I was one of those things. And it's like, wow, that that's insane. Like why? And I, you know, my assumption was you volunteered for it. And I know that Tom probably volunteered you for it, but. You know, it was that initial kind of like, 
you really love this stuff. This is scary. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I did at that point. I mean, I had spent um, eight or nine years at a, at a church previously, like doing sure. that sort of stuff, and that's all I knew, and that is what I thought I was supposed to do. And so that's that's where that that yeah. cheer and overzealousness, I think, came from. Yeah, but but one thing I will say about from when I first met you, you've had the the signature of the tagline in your email since I've known you, the always learning piece, and I will mm-hmm. say that. I think if if all sorts of other things have shifted in your life and they have, that part of your identity I don't think has ever changed uh, because I've always found you to be um, voracious in your learning about new things. And when you you find something that uh, piques your interest, you really do dig in to learn. It's not just like kind of like, yeah, I'll learn a little bit about this. You really dig in to try to figure out how it works and why it works and how might it change and how can I use this in my life? And if not, and then when you find the things that you do, then you're like, this is the greatest thing. Everyone should do this thing. And I love that like enthusiasm and passion. And I saw that when we first started working together. Um, And that's the only piece of that that hasn't changed, at least in my views in the past 12 years. What are, what do you think some of the things are that have changed? How am I, or how do you see me as different now, you know, a decade plus later um, versus what I was then when we first met? And do you think that's a good thing or do you think there, you know, I don't know, there's room for improvement? I mean, there's always room for improvement. So, I mean, I know that's a cheap answer, but there's always room for improvement. But I mean, sure. Well, I didn't mean I to say got... like I'm perfect and I need you right. to challenge me. No, I mean, no, that's I not know. what I meant. <laughs> I, but I, I look at it and like when, when uh, I would say we're kind of like Joel, the lovable doormat at church. I think partly out of duty and responsibility, but because that's it's the path of least resistance. Um, uh-huh. And I don't, I can't pinpoint exactly when that changed, but it was while I was still there where you, um, I think maybe it was more confidence. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but you, you started saying, you know, I'm an expert in this and you should listen to me. And when they're like, no, you're like, no, but really you should listen to me. And that, that was kind of a gradual, but I I don't know what the, the tipping point for you was. Maybe, you know, where you just, you kind of claimed that you clearly know more about in, in at that place, more tech, about tech, about style, about you name it, and said, you need to listen to me because this is why you hired me. And I think that confidence and also the awareness of your gifts that you have um, was a huge shift um, for for both you professionally and personally because I, I, I experience that now. Like You learn about something, you enjoy something, and you don't try to hide that you know stuff. You know, you're okay by claiming to say, yeah, this is something I know about. Um, and that, that's been a huge change, at least. Not that you didn't know the stuff originally. You just never wanted to be that, the expert in the room on things, at least when I first met you. So I think that's been a huge positive piece. Um, and I think originally, you know, just... Like I don't, 
and this maybe this thing is total dickish, but I don't ever remember you talking unless asked to talk in meetings uh, when we first started working together. Not as in I have nothing to say, so I'm not going to talk. You just didn't speak up, um, and I've not experienced that from you in a long time. You when you something comes to you about how things are done or when things are done or how how they're done, you're willing to. To, to put your name on it and say, no, this is actually a better plan or have you thought about this? And I think that's a huge, both personal growth, but also professional, you know, makes a big difference. And then the other kind of the big thing, I, I think I'm going to take partial credit on this one, but it's not me. It was kind of us together uh, when we started with Brewery Finder in general, that whole concept was this like a, a switch got flipped or whatever, where you're just like, okay, instead of griping about this thing that doesn't do, doesn't exist, doesn't do what we want, let's let's do it then. And I hadn't experienced that from you before that. And that, I mean, not just because I love working on it with you, but I think just in general, it's such a huge growth piece to the, to do the beyond conceptual and to go to the actual, like, here it is, let's do it. Um, I, I love doing that sort of stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. For I mean, definitely now. I don't know exactly what the switch was. I know for sure um, a lot of the stuff I've done with, with my blogging and work, working with brands and things like that has helped. A lot of it, sure. at least at the beginning for sure, was like fake it till you make it kind of thing because there's all these other guys <laughs> yeah. in that whole realm that are like, you know, it seems like they have it together. Whether they do or right. not, I have no idea. But um, I know for a fact that I look really good on paper, and at right. least part of that, <laughs> at least part of that comes out in real life. That yeah, I, I I know what I'm talking about in certain areas, and I'm not afraid to say that. And you're right, I didn't I didn't used to think that, or I didn't used to express that because I thought it was yeah. vain, or because I thought whatever. Um, and now I have to do that because if I don't do that, I don't get the gigs. And if I don't get the gigs because Abigail's not working, I don't pay the bills, and that's a problem. So I want to make sure I'm out there. Whether or not I'm always comfortable with it, I'm, I am outwardly comfortable with it and make myself appear right. that way because that's what I need to do. You know. I mean, I, I don't like – it sounds strange. I don't like being up front in front of people. Like it doesn't bother me anymore, but it's not – but I really, I don't thrive upon that. I like being behind the scenes and such. And there's that, the, the mode you put on in my case, you know, uh, Lori jokingly calls it Pastor Jer mode, where it's like, okay, now it's time to get up in front of the congregation and pretend like I know everything. And <laughs> I mean, I don't do the, I know everything, It's but I have to be confident and I have to be incredibly extroverted. Um, and that's just not how I function. I'm very confident, but I'm not, I am not an extrovert <laughs> at all, but that's part of the game. <laughs> so there's like those modes where you have to be like, okay, it's game time. Go. Um, sure. You know, so yeah, I hear what you're saying there. You and my wife are the two people that I blame for liking beer. Hooray. Um, hooray. <laughs> and uh, if you, if, if, you know, anyone has started following me recently, or um, has been a friend of mine for a long time, they obviously know based on in-person conversation or 
my online updates that that is definitely something that I use now to help define who I am. Um, sure. Because beer, beer, uh, <clears throat> because beer is so varied, there are so many different versions of it, um, it's, it's easy to find one that identifies with you, if not many. Right. Ten, oh gosh, it's longer than that now. Um, <clears throat> a good friend from high school got married, and her husband is the first person that bought me a beer. And this is, God, who knows how long ago. Definitely ten plus years ago. And it was a Miller Lite. Okay. And I thought it was awful. It was the first beer I'd ever had. Uh, but we were all at this house party, and then we walked down the way to a bar because I felt like everyone else at the party was cooler than me, and so I needed to do whatever it was that they were doing. And this guy, Mike, we we hang out now still, um, but back then, like, yeah, he bought he bought me this beer, and I was like, yeah, yeah, hey, you're really cool, like, you should try this out. And I hated it, but because everybody was there and they were all drinking that or something similar. I went ahead and, mm -hmm. you know, partook, but it was awful. And I didn't have another one until not long before Wesley was born. I, I'm trying to, I was thinking about that today. Like I yeah. looked on my blog and I saw that you and I, we went to Oath Day 2 yeah. Uh, at at Salamoth in 2014, which I loved and it was great. And I know that we brewed Wesley's beer in 2013, but I don't remember how much further back it was. I don't think it was much. No, I remember. I remember getting you very drunk at Oath Day. Not that I'm not <laughs> claiming I was not, but I remember at one point in time you were like <laughs> chatting it up with everybody with a beer in your hand. And I'm like, what are you drinking? And I don't. I want to say it was like a, a like a 10 percent dark. Saison. It was. It, I, I still remember. Like, yes. No. It was Sybil's Revenge, and they. It was a Sybil's year Revenge, later. You that I, you know, I loved that beer so much, and I don't remember at that point, at least, and like if it was just because I was so buzzed on it. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me most in that day is getting up from. You had gone off. I don't know if you were talking to somebody or getting another drink, and I had gotten up from one of the tables. And it was the first time in my life that I remember trying to stand up from a table and literally walk like six, maybe eight feet to wherever the trash can was, throw away my cup because I was done. And it wasn't just the simple like put one foot in front of the other kind of thing. <laughs> and I was I remember being so proud of myself that I made it to the barrel to throw the cup away. And I turned around and you had come out of nowhere and patted me on the back and was like, Way to go, champ. And then you disappeared again. I don't know where you went. <laughs> but I was like, this is a weird feeling, but it's kind of fun. And then I remember sitting back down and going, I need to get some food. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it was years later that I, re I remember talking to Aaron about, like, the the taproom manager um, still. <clears throat> like, yeah. hey, are you ever going to come back out with that? Like, last year, and then they came out with it. Um, oh, that was an... An uh, old order, right? Uh huh. Old order. I still have two bottles. Yeah. Um, nice. In, I'm gonna open up for something special. But yeah, like I waited years later for them to re-release it. Had it on tap, and it was as good as I remembered. That was part of it too. Abigail was like, if nothing else, because I was so religious, 
years ago, I obviously had trouble making friends. She's and I sure. was becoming less less and less religious. And she was like, you know, one of the things that you need to do is learn to like beer, so you can make friends. It's like, okay, you know, I was I was pretty resistant to the fact that she wanted me to do that because of my upbringing and what I'd been taught about beer and all those fake, you know, scare tactic reasons kind of thing. Yeah. But then, you know, you introduced me to like craft beer and that there is really good beer out there and it makes it easy to make friends. <laughs> um, right. Uh, it, it really does because you have all these things to talk about, even if you don't mm-hmm. have, you know, if you're in different economic levels you're you're you have different backgrounds you have different beliefs like you can talk about a specific style of beer that you like and then there's an immediate connection and so i'm very thankful to both you and my wife for putting me down that path because i'm glad she encouraged you because it it made a lot more fun for me uh, to be well she still does because last week i was out at three separate beer events (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. you know she's she's being an awesome wife about it for sure because i'm like hey babe it's work it's for brewery finder <laughs> sure sure yeah. but go have fun <laughs> yeah um laurie's going with me tomorrow to one um hannah's nice. gonna come in we're gonna ride out over to uh oso's having a release of a rhubarb sour and a, a dry hop sour and an arona berry which is a choke cherry sour um Oh, interesting. So she loves sour. So I was like, oh, they're having a fall festival in town. So we're going to go early with the kid and do that. Um, No joke, talking to one of the guys at the brewery at at Funk Factory today. And and the background on my phone is Hannah. And they're like, oh, it's Hannah. And it's my daughter and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, do you you bring her to breweries? And I'm like, my daughter has been to more breweries than most adults. (laughs) It's true. How many breweries has your daughter been to? I said, probably 50. It's like, oh, God. I'm like, yeah, it, at least 50. Um, I've got pictures of her, and I've got to tell uh, Vicky one of these days. I should just post them on Facebook. Uh, Hannah, when she was like four, five, six months old, a buckle down. Oh, um, nice. Okay. Some good pictures when she was a baby, a buckle down, because we went on, on several Sundays after church because they used to be open. On, on, maybe they still are, but on Sundays after church pick up a sub of Fontano's with the wetlings and we'd all go down to buckle down for a, a clencher. That's awesome. Something like that. So but she'll think that's awesome. You should you should totally do that. I'll yeah, I will. And then make a great blog post I mean, too. Like if you you talked about how just the number of breweries that your daughter's been to and post yeah, just a selection that. of places that you could see like her kind of growing up to be like, this is in this state and this is in this state. That'd be hilarious. Right. I, I totally could too. Oh man. I got to do that. No, yeah. I've got, why not? Most of the time we do, uh, we do pictures, especially so uh, totally off topic, but um, she loves Snapchat, Snapchat filters. And so oh, yeah. we've been West doing too. those. And so like we were out uh, at Oktoberfest uh, here in town. And so we, she wanted to do pictures. So we were doing like pictures of us with, you know, with the background. So you got like an accordion player in the background and the two of us making faces looking like unicorns and things like this. 
Nice. It's, it's one of my tactics to have another beer. Well, Snapchat, and she'll take pictures of herself for like 20 minutes and I can drink another beer. She'll settle down in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, we've we've talked uh, for quite a while tonight. I'm going to yeah. definitely have yeah. to have you back as another uh, um, a guest on another episode for sure because we've got way more to talk about. I was making notes before sure. I made this phone call. I was like, are we really going to fill this much time? I'm not sure. And so I have this whole list of things to ask you. But um, I think I'm going to wait for another time because yeah. um, I think we've only gotten through like the first third of things I was going to talk about. So thank you so much awesome. for hanging out and chatting with me. Um, I look forward to talking with you again soon and introducing you to some of my friends that will listen to this. Will at least yeah. be um, my mom and, you know, my wife. <laughs> True. Uh, True. But, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody else will listen to it, too, because we're on iTunes. So there you go. Have a good night, man. I'm going to finish this three, three sheeps brewing beer that I've been enjoying during the podcast. The, and that was the, the cuvee? Yes. Right, the dark side. Uh, so 2017, a, ale aged in bourbon and red wine barrels. Yeah. Uh, 1.6 ounces. 12.6%, and I'm almost done with the bottle. Yep. So I'm moving on to water next. Yeah, but right. I'm definitely, I've done a couple glasses of water after my uh, day drinking. Imperial so. Stout, Dark Wheat, and Black Saison, aged in a yeah. variation of bourbon barrels and red wine barrels. Yeah. Each year is different. Put- so I had a 2016 with Grant not too long ago. Okay. And I was just like, oh, this, the, the 2016 and the 2017 were just totally different blends all together. And I thought the 2016 to me kind of almost tasted like Tootsie Rolls. Not in a bad way, but just kind of. Sure. Uh, there's a Belgian style of beer called an Apt, A-B-T. And okay. um, th- that it's a, it's a dark Abbey ale. And it, it often comes out with those chocolate and raisin notes. And it almost tastes like you're drinking Tootsie Rolls. Um, and that's what it's supposed to taste like. And I found their 2016 blend to, to be very Tootsie Rolly. Um, it was still great. It just it was one of those things. I'm like, I'm drinking Tootsie Rolls that are full of booze. Um, <laughs> so I didn't think so with this one. No, you can get some more like red wine tart ish mm-hmm. flavor notes out of it. It's, it's really nice. Yeah, a little bit of tang, lots of oak. Uh huh. So yeah, I've got. At least two bottles in the basement in my cellar. Nice. And this is the one bottle that they gave me after we did that that 360 oh, the 360, to which I showed oh. four different people today, just as a side. Oh note. yeah. Um, okay. Talking about, they're like, yeah, we didn't know what it looked like inside. I'm like, oh, you gotta check this out. And I showed them, and they're like, oh, is that what Three Sheeps looks like? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, that looks really cool. We should check that out. Thank you very much. I I'm gonna yeah, yeah. chat with you later. We'll talk about Fobab and. Um, all those great things coming up here soon. Cool. I can't wait, man. <laughs>